Welcome to Living For Him podcast, where in every episode, you are invited to experience the joy of a life in Christ. I'm your host, CJ Cousins, and in today's episode, it is my prayer that the primary emphasis and goal of the following message is that you hear and respond to the good news about Jesus Christ and his kingdom. So whoever you are and wherever you are, thank you for joining us. I invite you to listen with an open heart, subscribe for future episodes, and stay tuned for some next steps after this message. Enjoy. Father in heaven, what a privilege it is to be here in your presence again to worship you. As the song just said, Lord, we come not to complain. We come to gratefully rejoice in the goodness of God. We come to bask in your grace. We come to fellowship with one another. We come now to bring our attention on your son, Jesus. Through the word of God, through the Holy Spirit. And we ask, Lord, that you'll do something in our lives that will transform us and that will bring us much, much closer to you. In Jesus' name, let everyone say, Amen. I I sat with rapt attention last week at the graduation here at Vienna Adventist Academy as they were playing uh, a a video of the history of our church, 100 years, particularly the school, 100 years. As a matter of fact, we were celebrating the 100th eighth grade graduating class. And at this point, can everybody just praise the Lord for those graduates that just recently graduated? over at Vienna Adventist Academy. It was really, really exciting to see um, what the Lord has done with our church, particularly in its its, uh, founding. I was really, really excited to watch um, the story, a story after story was told about all that God did to bring together now a church, a movement in this city. I, I discovered that our church was, was actually planted as a result of an evangelistic meeting that took place here in this city. I mean, this is the kind of uh, passion, this is the kind of commitment, this is the kind of fervor that you see when a local church recognizes that it's a movement, right? And, and this is the kind of passion you would feel. This is the kind of all-in passion you would feel if you were there in the early church in the first century after the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out, right? And, and, and it's not just that you were witnessing it, uh, no, but you were actually uh, experiencing it. You were a part of it, something bigger than yourself. Many of them that were there in the first century, not too long after Jesus gave the Great Commission, remember actually seeing Jesus give the Great Commission. Many of them remember hearing his voice as he spoke those instructions in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where he says that when you will be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and you'll be my witnesses in Judea, and you'll be my witnesses, what? To the ends of the earth. And so they're there experiencing it through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Somewhat. Because they had not yet gone to Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. As a matter of fact, quite honestly, they had gotten a little comfortable at this point with what they had already accomplished. This is something that Auntie Ellen actually 
captures really, really well for us in the book Acts of the Apostles and the experience of the early church. And I love what she says in Acts of the Apostles. If you want anybody that wants to kind of get down the uh, reference, she says in Acts chapter, excuse me, Acts uh, page, Acts of the Apostles, page 105. Okay, here's what she says. Ellen White says, just get it here. Auntie Ellen, here we go. Ellen White says in Acts of the Apostles, page 105, she says, success had attended the ministry of the word in that place, speaking of Jerusalem. And there was danger that the apostles would linger there too long, unmindful of the Savior's commission to go to all the world, instead of educating the new converts to carry the gospel to those who had not heard it, they were in danger of taking a course that would lead all to be satisfied with what had been accomplished. That is until the prophetic clock struck. Because what was actually getting ready to happen was about to change everything. As a matter of fact, in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24 to 27, Daniel details a very striking and convincing prophecy that outlined actually what would happen leading up to this very moment. As a matter of fact, many scholars and many people, even skeptics, have been convinced of the authenticity of the Bible and the, the reality of who Jesus was and what he claimed by this prophecy. And we, uh, in our community of faith, are very familiar with it. It's the 70 weeks prophecy or the 490 years prophecy. This prophecy pinpoints in striking detail when Jesus would be baptized, right? in AD 27 at the Jordan River, right? When he was anointed by the Holy Spirit at his baptism. And then it moves three and a half years later to the middle of the prophetic week, right? In 31 AD, when Jesus is crucified or cut off as the prophecy states. And then three and a half years later, there is another event. And this is the event right now, this, this catalytic event that's about to happen, that's gonna change everything. You see, what happens in the book of Acts as Luke is recording this for us is he's bringing us now to a turning point. You may call it a shift that takes place in the story of the church, almost three and a half years after the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ. Because the way he designs the book of Acts, Acts, verse, Acts chapters 1 to 7, is basically what took place through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit there in Jerusalem. And then this event that's getting ready to happen as the prophetic clock is about to strike splits the book of Acts in two. Everything after Acts chapter 7, chapters 8 to 28, is what takes place now as the movement of the gospel goes now into Judea, Samaria, and ends of the earth. Where when you get to the, to, to the end of the book in Acts chapter 28, Paul is there now, quote unquote, ends of the earth in Rome, testifying to the good news of Jesus Christ. And so whatever's gonna take place today where we're gonna be in Acts chapter eight, whatever's gonna bring us out of Acts chapter seven into Acts chapter eight constitutes the shift that moves the church from, watch this, from complacency to mission. So I'm wondering if I'm talking to a church after a hundred years that can relate with the tendency to want to move into a place of comfort and complacency. 
I wonder if I'm talking to anybody in the house today that wants to be completely honest with themselves. This may not reflect everybody here. I know that there's often the 20% and the 80%. And I understand that there's some people very, very all in committed and working very, very hard behind the scenes. But let's not remove ourselves fully off the hook here. Let's actually be introspective for a moment. And let's ask ourselves, have we, have we allowed ourselves, even in the reality of the pandemic, have we allowed ourselves to move into a place of complacency and comfort? And could the Holy Spirit be calling us to a shift? And, and if so, then, then how does God move us from the comfort of complacency to the momentum of mission is our question today. Okay, so come with me now. Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse number 1, because now what we're going to discover is that this catalytic event that takes place, that causes the shift, is actually the stoning of Stephen. The stoning of Stephen in A.D. 34. This is the shift, okay? As a matter of fact, in Acts chapter 7, the story is accounted there for us, and at the end of Acts chapter 7, we're introduced to a very important figure in the book of Acts and in the rest of the New Testament, and that's Saul. Saul, okay? And Saul has an interesting role as we begin to understand his story as it's being introduced to us because Saul, Saul is the one that was coordinating. Saul was the one that was facilitating. Saul was the one that was actually there causing the stoning of Stephen to take place. So come with me now. Second sentence of verse number one in Acts chapter eight. Bible says, in a great wave of persecution began that day sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers, except the apostles, were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. Did you catch it? Did you catch the shift? See, everything before this was, was just chronicling what was going on there, Alex, in Jerusalem. But what now just happened shifted everything now into Judea and Samaria. And then, up, and then eventually to the ends of the earth. You see, what's going on here now is that Saul, as we're introduced to him now, later be Paul, Saul immediately goes to work. You see, I didn't realize this until I was studying this uh, recently, that, that, that Saul didn't wait after the stoning of Stephen to start persecuting the church. He immediately, the Bible says, that day. So Stephen is stoned. And that day, he begins to persecute the church. They can barely start mourning Stephen. And he immediately starts persecuting the church. The way he's operating here, just over the top, right, is, 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 is reminding me of someone that's stifling conviction. You see, he had just witnessed the stoning of Stephen. Stephen's, Stephen's death very much reminds him of the reports he may have heard of how Jesus died, right? For example, uh, Stephen says the very words that Jesus says, right? Father, forgive them. He asks for the forgiveness of his enemies. And, and, and then as he's dying, he, he, he looks up and he says that he sees the Son of Man. He sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God the Father before he takes his sleep and death. And so this must have been resting in the mind of Saul. 
But in order to silence the voice of conviction, he immediately just goes crazy, just persecuting the church. And you begin to ask this question. It's a, it's a good question to ask. Why would God allow his church to experience this type of persecution? But we need to remember this is the exact same thing that causes the shift. See, this is the actual thing that moves the church from their comfort of complacency into the momentum of mission. You see, because God, God will, God will actually permit God will actually permit a, a dangerous disruption in order to shift us from the comfort of complacency into the momentum of mission. That's our first point, guys. God will actually permit a, 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 your, your, the comfort of your complacency to shift into the momentum of mission by permitting a dangerous disruption. Now, now understand that I said Permit. I didn't say cause. Permit. See, God is not the author of evil, right? As a matter of fact, because of God's character of love, uh, see, God, God is dealing with a complexity of, of, of issues and circumstances. You know, it's, it's very difficult being God, <laughs> right? Especially if you're a God of love, okay? And so God, what he's dealing with is, is that his character of love, his very nature actually... Um, inherently gives freedom of choice, okay? And so there's several freedoms, free wills that are operating all at once, okay? And he is very much on the ground, permitting and preventing um, uh, 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 dangerous things and bad things from happening all the time, things that we are aware of, things that we are not aware of, right? Okay, so God is very much, right, a good God that's keeping bad things from happening. However, there are times when a collection of, or a series of, of choices, right, are taking place in certain particular circumstances where if he were to immediately intervene, Another will would then rush into the scene and bring his age-old accusation of God, justifying his accusation that God is not love, but God, and he cannot be trusted because God is actually now operating as a dictator, a control freak, if you will, that doesn't really truly give his creatures free will. And therefore, what God does is he'll, he'll often painfully permit something that he has already put providentially things in place to override it and turn it around for good. That's why Paul will say in Romans chapter 8, verse 8, all things work together for the good of them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Doesn't mean all things that are happening in this world are good, but what it means is you have a good God that's intervening and he's working it out and teasing it out and he's going, okay, that decision was made, but I've already made a decision to override it to bring it around for good. Look at the story of Joseph. Look at your life. Look and see how God has been actively going, okay, you made that decision. That wasn't a good decision, but I've already kind of put a thing in here. And we're going to turn it around. That hurt, I know. That was painful for me too. God suffers along with us. You know, God, 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 God did not cause COVID-19. But I do believe God permitted COVID-19. Because I believe some of us are comfortable. And that comfort may move us into complacency. And there are people right now desperate 
to have the hope of the gospel that you have. You know, when COVID-19 broke out last year, many of you may have felt like the Jews there in Jerusalem, right? The, the Jewish followers of Jesus scattered in the area, right? We're not, we're not coming here in those, especially those strict times of quarantine. We're not coming back here to the building, right? And, and, and so very much like how the apostles were there in Jerusalem while everybody else was scattered. You know, we had the, some pa uh, the pastors and, and some elders serving here in the building, right? And you had some participants. You remember, <laughs> right, Agnes? And, and, and so here we are. We're, we're like a skeleton crew in those strict times with strict restrictions. And many of you may have felt scattered in the area, right? What are we gonna do now? What, how do we be church? We don't have the building, right? Many of those Jewish Christians were very much, had a strong affinity for the temple there in Jerusalem. We don't have that, that thing that, made, that identified us as, as to who we are. And so, they, so they, they go, they're, they're scattered. There were several people, very much like how Stephen died, right? And then the persecution broke out. Many of us um, grieved along with maybe loved ones. Um, uh, many other people that have lost people as a result of this pandemic. Okay, so, so, so we can identify with, with this, this dangerous disruption that this early church is experiencing there after what seems like serious ministry success. Why is this happening? But I want to show you how God is mysteriously working behind the scenes, even in what we just read about the persecution. Watch this. The Bible will say in verse number three that Paul goes house to house, taking men and women and throwing them into prison. Now, you may have missed it right there. <laughs> I love getting excited. You may have missed it right there because the language there is key to understanding what's coming later. See, see. Luke is writing a story that's building and it's going somewhere. Are you with me? And so, and so what he already told you is that the apostles are there in Jerusalem, right? And, 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 so, and so now Paul, through this persecution, has caused the church to scatter. But what Paul is witnessing as he's persecuting the church is that the church still maintained the foundational method through which Jesus was building his mission and movement before his crucifixion. Apart from the preaching and teaching in the synagogue, Jesus did a lot of his ministry from house to house. And this will eventually become the very method, the very core to the very method of how Paul himself will plant churches. God is actually in the midst of Paul using his own free will to now persecute and try to destroy the church. God is already starting to expose Paul to the very method of how to grow the church. You see, he's already mysteriously working to shift into the momentum of mission. Paul, or Saul rather, the persecutor, is going to shift and he's going to be turned into Paul, the preacher of the gospel and church planter. God is moving to shift us from the comfort of complacency into the momentum of mission. And there are things that's going on that sometimes feel uncomfortable, but, but please understand that God is often working in the midst of that to push you into momentum because he knows what he's getting ready to do. Some of us need to shift into a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. Some of us need to shift into entering into what Jesus modeled and taught in how to experience 
the, the loving fellowship of community and growing together as followers of Jesus in small groups, what we call grow groups here at Vienna. Some of you need to recognize that you have spiritual gifts that God has gifted you with, and you need to shift from the pew into active participation in ministry. There are things right now that we need people to step up and do. And all of us need to be shifted and pushed into the very thing that you have been called and purposed to do, and that's to make disciples. That means that there's people at any moment in your life, I say look for three to start, that Jesus actually is setting you up. They actually need your story, the good and the bad and the ugly, wrapped up in Jesus, because Jesus has literally set you up to disciple them. And it starts at home, and then it spreads out from home, in your workplace, right? In your school, wherever you do life. Could it be that God right now is saying, Vienna, I need you as we come out of this pandemic, praise the Lord. I need you to shift. I need you to shift. Because guess what? Normal was not working. And you could be on the cusp of momentum for mission. What if God has more than 100 years? What if he's got more than 150 years? And what if our best days are ahead of us? But he just needs us to shift. Now, what's going to happen now once they're, once they're scattered out there in Judea and Samaria and then later on in the ends of the earth? How do they operate now that they don't have the apostles, Pastor Gary? They don't have the spiritual leaders. They don't have the elders and the deacons. So, so, so how are they going to do mission? How are they going to do this momentum of mission, right? Without their leaders. Come with me now to verse number four. Verse number four, Acts 8, verse four. The Bible says, oh, this gets me excited already. But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Wherever they found themselves, whatever sphere of influence they found themselves in, they preached. By the way, that word preached, don't think of someone like me standing up by a pulpit on a stage proclaiming the good news about Jesus from the word of God. Preach, that word preach, literally, especially in this, in this biblical early context, just means to announce. Announce. That means that the good news about Jesus through Scripture found its way into all of their conversations wherever they went interacting with people, and they announced the good news about Jesus. They didn't have to erect a pulpit in the workplace by the water cooler. You follow what I'm saying? They're having lunch with their coworker, right? They're on the road, right, on the dusty road, and they meet some fellow travelers, right? They stop at the Chick-fil-A or, or the veggie lay, I don't know, and they just start, <laughs> they just start talking, it just, it just flows. They start telling their story, they connect with somebody else's story, and Jesus' story becomes central. And so, so here, watch this, watch this, watch this. Remember, the, the, the stoning of Stephen happened, and then they immediately were persecuted and scattered. So watch this, they're persecuted, but they share Jesus. They're mourning, but they start to share Jesus, right? They're pulled out of their comfort zone, but they say, I gotta share Jesus. The shift happens and they know that all, I, we don't have the apostles, we don't have the pastors and the deacons and the elders with us right now to disciple people, but I got the Holy Spirit and I've got a story about Jesus. I've met him and I can tell this person how he's impacted my life. 
And now it's time for me to shift. The prophetic clock is struck. It's time to go. Whatever, it's good to have spiritual leaders that can, that can equip you. That's what we're here for, right? To equip you. But it's to actually equip you to do the work of ministry. Because God will shift us from the comfort of complacency into the momentum of mission by pushing every believer into disciple-making. Every believer, not just the pastor, not just the elders, not just the deacons, every believer warming a pure watching online right now is called to fulfill our mission and vision statement. Reaching out in love to make what? Disciples of Jesus Christ. That's just the Great Commission. That's not just for the specialists or those that are really gifted in teaching the Bible. That's everybody. Because guess what? The first Bible that people are actually going to read and be actually convinced by is your life. And get more specifically, what's under the hood of that? Your love. In the midst of this pandemic, how did you love people? Because that preached to them. It announced Jesus to them. I'm never going to forget, as I close, I'm never going to forget the powerful, powerful sermon we recently had from Pastor Dr. Myron Edmonds with Ignite. You can go and you can look at it in the archives. And he talked about the Holy Spirit in the nest. He talked about how in the Bible, the Holy Spirit and how he relates with us is like, is like an eagle stirring its nest. And he breaks that whole thing down biologically. It's as if you're on National Geographic. He breaks the whole thing down. But what does it mean for an eagle to stir its nest? Well, here's what eagles do. Eagles, um, as they have their little eaglets in a nest, first of all, they put the, the nest high up in a, a, a high precipice in some rocks, you know, rocky area. And the nest can be as deep as 13 feet. And, they, and the material that they use to, to build this nest has material that is, that is there for the, the eaglet's comfort and material also in there, watch this, to make thorny material, or, you know, things to actually make the eaglets uncomfortable. And as the eaglets grow, they begin to be, they begin to be uh, uh, irritated by some of these things that are uncomfortable inside the nest. And, and, and increasingly, they want to get out the nest. Are you hearing this? And so after a while, they grow and they grow because, see, the eagle's job, and the eagle here is paralleled here with the Holy Spirit. The eagle's job is to get the eaglets to do what they were made to do, and that's to fly. That's to soar. <laughs> So, so what happens is the eaglets get to a place where I just, this, this is so uncomfortable. Got to do something. And mama goes, I know exactly what you need to do, but watch this. The eaglet doesn't want to do on their own what they've been made to do, and that's to leave that nest and soar. And so what the, the, what the, what the eagle will actually do is grab that eaglet and throw them out the nest. And as they're on their way down, they begin to feel the warm air of the, the thermal air kind of getting underneath their wings. And they go, oh, this, this feels kind of natural here. 
but it's not my power that's causing it to happen. This, I'm, just, I'm just riding the wave of, this, of this, this thermal air. And next thing you know, they're not falling anymore. No, now they're flying. They're doing what they were built and made and designed to do. Family, you were designed to soar. You were designed to fly into your purpose, which is to make disciples for the Lord Jesus Christ. Your story, your gifts, your personality. You don't got to be me. You don't got to be Pastor Gary. Anybody. That's what moves the church, by the way. At any point you look in human history is when every believer goes, no, I am called to disciple my friend. Don't just bring him here and give him to Pastor Gary. If you want to do that, look, we, we, we will not turn anybody away. Okay, but, but, but we'll be even more excited and, and me and Pastor Gary be in our staff meeting most of the time just high-fiving each other with Betsy, just be like, yes! When everybody here goes, man, I got three people right now. I'm walking, I'm walking through how to pray and I'm, I'm telling them, I told them about my story. We're forming a small group. Can we, can we register for your, your next semester for Grow Groups? Because we want to make sure that we've got our friends here. We're walking through a Bible study together. I got a question, Pastor. Oh, that's good. Let me, let, let me, let me walk you through that. But you do it. Every Sabbath will be baptizing folk. But that's not the graduation. That's just the beginning because guess what? You're doing it. Are you hearing this? The Holy Spirit is throwing you out of the nest. And he's got to get you uncomfortable before you do it or else you won't do it. Family, it's time to shift from the comfort of complacency to the momentum of mission. And in order to do that, God sometimes has to permit a dangerous disruption. And he's got to push every believer into disciple making. Because all you need to do is say yes, Jesus. First of all, you just need to say yes to his grace. You just got to say, yes, all to Jesus, I surrender. Jesus, I have nothing good to give. I give you myself. Thank you for that gift at Calvary. And then he says, I've got a purpose for you. And it means you're designed to soar into your purpose of disciple making. Let's pray. Father, here we are, Father, on the precipice of, of great momentum for your kingdom. And God, all we need to do is open up our wings and allow you, Holy Spirit, to do what you do, and that is to cause us to soar, to soar into our purpose, Father, to soar into the way that you've designed us, that you've redeemed us, what you have called us to, which is every believer making disciples. Everyone here can lead a group. Everyone here can bring somebody, whether it's virtually or safely in person, into a safe, loving environment where there's maybe some food and there's love and there's acceptance and there's relationship. As an entry point into learning what it, what it looks like to follow Jesus as a Seventh-day Adventist. Help us, Lord, to really receive that calling. Help us to see every environment by which we do life in as a mission field. Help us to recognize that you've called us to shift. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Thank you for listening to Living for Him podcast. I pray that you were blessed by this message and that you experienced the good news of the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. I'd like to personally invite you to respond to this good news and take the next steps in following Jesus by clicking the prompt in the description. I've also created a resource to help you experience the joy of a close relationship with Jesus called the Life in Christ Daily Devotional Journal. If you'd like to experience Jesus daily, watch the good news of his story unfold throughout scripture, and do this as a weekly small group gathering, then get your copy today in print or ebook by clicking the link in the description. Living for Him exists to tell the story of Jesus for the equipping of healthy disciple makers who extend his reign of love. If you'd like to support the further development of this exciting ministry, then I encourage you to become a monthly supporter by also clicking the link in the description. Your support is greatly appreciated. You're also invited to like and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Subscribe to this podcast and subscribe to our e-newsletter by visiting our website at livingforhim.tv. Lastly, we kindly ask that you write us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other podcast platform you're listening to us on, and share this podcast with your friends. I look forward to meeting you here again in our next episode, where our desire is that you experience the joy of life in Christ. Once again, I'm CJ Cousins, and I'm living for him.